Good morning, Bayou City. It is so, so good to be together today. Um, I'm not going to lie, it's been a morning. It's been a morning. My hope is that you will come with expectation for what God wants to speak into your life, not just for the information from his word, but for the transformation that comes from understanding it and then putting it into practice to live in obedience to what he has. I'm not excited to preach this sermon at all because we're, we're taking the, the second law from the, the commandments of God that Icky started last week in the Sermon on the Mount and he got murder and I get adultery. I would have rather had murder. But today it's gonna be about adultery, which means some people might be squirming and I just wanna set the the groundwork for what's coming in because I'm not coming in as an expert in righteousness or an expert in holy living. I am coming with my own scars, my own brokenness and my own desperation for the God who created us to figure out how to live more faithfully to him and to others. As I said last week, we... Continued our Sermon on the Mount, and and we're going to keep that rolling. And um, I want to give you a warning. Parents, I know we have little kids uh, that generally watch with us. Because of the content, I think it's really important that you lead well in your home. There may be some things that get brought up. I'll do my best to guard their hearts, but I need you to help me and make sure that you guard their hearts as well. Just by the nature of the service and the sermon, it may be a little little more than some of your kids uh, will want to hear. And with that, I want to tell you why I hate The Bachelor. That's right. I hate The Bachelor. I know we have bachelor parties. I know that we have bachelor groups. I know that there's Facebook groups about it. And The Bachelor, uh, I'm not sitting in judgment on it, and it's not the people, but it is the principle of The Bachelor that I, that I don't like so much. Because what it does is it helps to normalize a behavior that is causing my kids and your kids and myself and yourself Uh, to slip into loose living. The principle of The Bachelor is this, that, hey, we'll test it out with a whole bunch of people. We'll test out these relationships and see if we click all at the same time. Right? We We don't have the idea that we commit for life to people. It's kind of like, hey, if it doesn't work out with this one, I've got 16 others waiting that I could or couldn't give roses to to figure out maybe that'll work later. And if that doesn't work out, hey, there's 14 more and so forth and so on. And so the idea, the principle of The Bachelor is what I don't like. And let me tell you why we do love The Bachelor in our society. The reason that we like The Bachelor is because it scratches this itch that we have to to walk up as close to the line of holiness or not holiness as possible, right? The line of sin. Where's that line where God's gonna slap our hand? We wanna get as close as possible without getting burned. And it's not just The Bachelor. There's lots of things that, that normalize in our lives these days. But this happens to be something very prevalent. Because if commitment isn't important and faithfulness isn't important, right, it's a slow burn, right? It's a slow slide, This is what Jesus is going to talk to us about today. It's this slow progression from where we need to be to the line where we shouldn't be, and then soon enough, it is off the cliff into darkness. 
That's what he's going to talk about today. And when Jesus was talking at the Sermon on the Mount, he had lots of people. He had people who were committed to follow him. He had people who were testing out the waters with Jesus. There were people who were curious. There were people who were total sinners, right? That's where I would have been. Trying to hear and understand, hey, what is this rabbi talking about? What is this crazy stuff that he's bringing up? Because they had the Ten Commandments. They had the law. They had the prophets. And I think today we probably have a similar crowd, don't we? Some of you are happily married and you guys, uh, you know, praise God that he's protected you and you are living in a way that is uh, fruitful and, and healthy. I don't want to minimize that. There are some people who are struggling secretly in their marriages. You love your spouse, but you have allowed yourself that slow slide. There are some people who are just living it up in sin. We're living in adultery, right? We're living in infidelity and we are... We're just all over the place. And then there are some of you, if by God's providence you are here today and you are listening to this and you are seeking forgiveness and hope, you're looking for purpose, you're looking for uh, freedom from the things that bind you in this area. Today's your day. And I'm gonna pray that God would speak directly to your hearts so that you can find that freedom today. See, we're the same crowd. It's no different. My question is, do we even know why this loose living, not just the loose living, but the idea that commitment isn't that big of a deal? Do we even know why it's a problem? Do we even care? You know, if you're a Pharisee, maybe you're a Pharisee of Pharisees and you're like, I just can't believe that. I can't believe that anybody would watch The Bachelor. I can't believe that anybody would, you know, ever. I can't. I don't even know how people get into adultery. I would never do that. I wonder about your relationships that you're committing adultery on God with, though. I wonder if we even recognize that though we aren't in physical infidelity with another person, that possibly our spiritual infidelity is far worse. And maybe something that we haven't even understood as present. And if you're here today looking for those answers, this is for you. We're going to continue in Matthew chapter 5. Here's Matthew chapter 5, and it's going to be four verses, 27 to 30. And I'm glad it's short, because as I said at the beginning, I'd like to get this over with as soon as possible. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Super straightforward, very black and white, right? Do not commit adultery. This is the seventh commandment. And it comes, what's interesting is, is this commandment comes right before stealing, lying, and coveting your neighbor's wife. All things that happen in the lead up and execution of adultery. Don't commit adultery, which includes stealing somebody else's person, so to speak, lying, which generally accompanies infidelity, and coveting your neighbor's wife, not being content with what and who God has given you, but needing and going after somebody else's. And of course, we know that this isn't about the doctrine, as Zicky stated last week. This is not about the doctrine. This is about a heart issue. And so here's what Jesus says. He says, look, you know, it's it says, don't commit adultery. That's, that sounds easy. Everybody's like, yes, amen, hallelujah. Don't commit adultery. 
Here's why I didn't want to give the sermon today. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully or a man lustfully, listen, this isn't just for men. A lot of times I think we, we look at the world and we say, guys are cheaters, right? This goes both ways. We know this. I know this from raising teenagers, right? Guys and girls both lust at one another. This is not just for one or the other. So it says, anyone who looks lustfully at a woman or anyone who looks lustfully at a man has already committed adultery with him or her in his heart. It's a heart issue. Here's the thing about the second look. I learned this when I was real young in my faith because when I started reading the Bible, I was really dogmatic about it and so it was super black and white and I was like, it says, don't commit adultery if you look lustful. I just kind of looked. I was like trying to walk around blinders on. Right, because I figured if I looked one time, I was gonna go to hell. Right, so here's what, my, here's what my pastor taught me back in the day. We'd be driving in the car, right? We'd be driving in the car. And you know, if you see somebody who's attractive or a person in general, you look, right? And you're, in your mind, what happens is you say, oh, look, that woman is beautiful. Or, oh, look, that man has got pecs and abs, now, here's the thing. You normally look back away because you're driving your car. Have you ever seen that breakneck second look, though? Here's, what's, here's what it is like this. I've seen guys do this. I've watched men do this. They're walking by. They see that girl. And, and it's like, whoa. Right? It's like they almost fall over. Their neck almost falls off of their shoulders because of that second look. It's that second look that Jesus is talking about. If you're a young teenage boy, you're a young teenage girl. I'm not talking about the first look. Jesus says here, you were talking about that second look, because here's what that second look does. That second look takes us down the road a little ways, because when we take that second look, what we have done in our minds and our hearts is this. Dang, that girl was pretty. Oh, dang, that girl is pretty. And then we start to turn that back around in our mind and heart. We start this mental drive down a different road than where we were going before. And that is what Jesus is talking about. If you look lustfully at a woman or a man, when you start imagining and pondering the things that could be with that person, right? that first look is not what he's talking about. Oh, hey, look, there's a woman, there's a man. We see people all the time. But Jesus is getting to the heart of it. Like, okay, I didn't, like, I didn't go to her house. Yeah, but you already did in your brain. And he said, that's a heart issue. He's equating the motives of our heart with the physical act. And because it's in the heart where we get to the physical act. I'm going to walk this out with you in just a little bit. I want to finish the rest of this. If your right eye causes you to sin, he says, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, to a dogmatic young Christian, this was not a fun scripture to read. I had to sit and ponder this for a little while. I was like, Lord, you got to be kidding me. Like, you... I'll do it, but am I really, what am I, how am I supposed to, you know, if we have kids or teenagers watching, some teenagers read this, be like, dang, I'm gonna go to school blind this year, I'm gonna have no hands, because the problem is you could gouge out your eyes and cut out both your hands and still sin in your heart. That's not what this says. This is not about gouging out your physical eyes or gouging out your physical hands, but it is something that we have to pay attention to. We'll get to this in a second. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Corporal punishment is better than capital punishment in the end. He's saying the things that cause us to sin in our heart It's better to get rid of those things decisively and quickly than it is to invest and involve yourself in a lustful affair and not be with God forever. Again, this is about relationships, is it not? Let's talk about adultery. What does adultery do? If you're like, well, Johnny, I've not committed adultery, but maybe I just, I like to gander late in late night by myself. And because kids are in the room, I'm not gonna be implicit But I don't know about you, have you ever heard from a couple who somebody is addicted to those visual things? I don't know if I've ever heard a wife go, oh yeah, no, I'm cool with it. No, that didn't cause any pain or brokenness in our family. I don't know a man who's worth two cents, who's actually willing to pay attention to his own heart that says, no, that hasn't caused any problems in my life. That hasn't caused my mind to see people differently. See, adultery, not just the physical act, which blows up families, which affects children for generations. That's not the only thing that matters. It's that sin in our heart. It's that lust in our heart for something that isn't ours, for something that shouldn't be ours. And if you say, well, I'm just looking at stuff. It doesn't matter. I'm not doing anything. What about the people involved in the making? I wonder what their oppression and their chaos would speak into that narrative. Don't commit adultery, but are you lusting in your heart? If you say, well, Johnny, I'm not an adulterer. I've never cheated on my spouse. Okay. Fair enough. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? So you say, John, I'm not not cheated on my spouse. I've not gone to another's home. I've not snuck around. I've not stayed late at work. I don't even watch inappropriate things. Fair enough. Have you stayed faithful to God? Have you kept yourself from infidelity in your spiritual life? Have you lifted anything above the name of Jesus? Have you lifted any relationship above your relationship with God? The point is not whether you can be perfect or not. The point is that you're not perfect. And that it is due to that imperfection that we have to come to God to enter into this relationship. See, the commandments at the beginning and the commandments that he's talking about flipping on their heads, it is all about our relationship with God and other people. How do we live a faithful life to God? How do we live a faithful wife, a life, (laughs) a wife, a life, 
with our wives and husbands and with other people. Faithfulness, where does it come from? How do we get it? How do we execute that? How do we stay away from that line of infidelity, both in our human relationships and our spiritual ones? Let me explain it like this. When I married my wife, I stood at an altar. I stood there with my wife and she was across from me and I had her hands in my hands. And before we got to the vows or even the message, there was a statement of intent and it read like this. Jonathan, do you take this woman to be your wife, to live together after God's ordinance in the holy state of matrimony? Do you promise to love her, comfort her, honor her, and keep her in sickness and in health, forsaking all others to keep yourself only unto her as long as you both shall live? Are you going to forsake all others? Now, it took me a while to figure this out. It took me a while to understand what this actually meant, this idea to forsake all others. Because this is the key. Listen, if we don't want to get too close to that fire, we got to walk it out, and then we have to forsake all others. And here's how it works. I don't know of many people who wake up in the morning and go, man, I'm going to cheat on my wife. You know what? I'm going to go down to that gym, and I'm going to find that guy, and we're going to go have ourselves a little side thing. And this is crazy. This, nobody wakes up. I don't know many people that do, right? Especially believers, you might know. People who have fallen. Pastors that you know who have fallen. Don't wake up and say, I'm going to go and have an, an adulterous relationship today. It was a slow slide and a slow burn because they didn't walk it out. They did not see the end before anything began. And they didn't forsake all others. I've had marriage counseling with people and they say, Johnny, we're having a struggle. And the, somebody will sit and tell me, they're like, you know, I've just got this, this woman that I see at the work. And I said, well, have you told her that you're married? Well, yeah, but, and then I'm like, you need to tell her that you're not going to talk to her anymore. You're going to delete her phone number. You're not going to talk to her online and you need to go back and focus on your wife. You need to take care of business at your house. You'd be like, but that's so mean. Who cares if it's mean? You're talking about saving a marriage versus having an adulterous affair. So here's, here's how we walk it out. That first look, mm, right? You keep walking. If in your mind, you don't say, God bless that woman. I hope she has a great life. I'm headed to my wife to meet her for ice cream. What happens is that second look, we already start. We've turned our car around. We're going down a different way. And here's how it works. If we were able to play it out all the way, what are you gonna do? Okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go talk to that girl. What are you going to tell her? Hey, I think you're beautiful. Okay, then what? Let's say you end up divorcing your wife. You end up going with this woman. Is she going to, you have, is she going to get kids? Think about it. Is she going to be a mom? You don't even know what this girl is like. You don't even know what this guy is like. All you're doing is you had that one inkling, that, that lustful thought in your heart. And because we acted on it, we did not play it all the way to the end you're going to die happy on, in a swing set on your front porch? You don't even know her name. You don't even know she lives in town. You don't even know she speaks your language. We don't play it out to the end. We are impulsive. This is why, this is why The Bachelor works. It plays on that impulsivity of humanity, of our human nature. If we are able to take it from that initial thought, that second glance, we can... We can forsake all others. 
If we are willing to do the difficult work, let's say the woman at the cooler at work, you started to, oh, hi, how are you? Hi, Janice. Right? And you forget, you know, you don't talk about your, your family as much because you're like, what if she likes me? You ever play that game? Ooh, what if she likes? I don't want to hurt her feelings. You know how many people's feelings I've hurt? That I'm going to hurt? Because I've forsaken all others. I promised my wife I would forsake all others. You know that flame that you rekindled on Facebook? That you talk to at work when you're supposed to be working? Or at school when you're supposed to be doing your stuff? And you have not cut it off? You're getting close. You're starting to flirt. You have not forsaken all others. Let's talk about our spiritual infidelity for a second. Let's say it's that, it's that platform that we seek. We love the platform, don't we? What's that platform? You know what the platform is for me. I'm on a platform. But there's only one platform that matters if you're a believer, and that's the platform of Jesus Christ. It's the platform of God the Father. It's the only narrative, the only story, the only truth that matters. Because that truth fixes every other truth, lie, or anything else that there is in the world. But we love our platform. And so what we do is we seek that platform, don't we? And on the way to our platform, we have cheated on God over and over and over again because we're so focused on ourselves that we don't have time for him. Success, money, all the things we could list all the way down. What is causing you to be adulterous in your relationship to God? I'll tell you what. If I see one more political post, I'm going to blow my mind. I don't care what animal you are. I really don't. Has that become an adulterous relationship between you and God? What cause are you lifting up before Jesus? We've spoken about this before. Is that causing an adulterous relationship between before you and God? The point is this. It's not that I'm better than you're better than me or they're better than us. It doesn't matter. Is that we all have sinned, the Bible says, and all have fallen short because the motives in our heart are adulterous. They're lustful after the things of this world. The Bible says, Jesus says, God says over and over, if you don't forsake all others, if you don't even deny yourself, how is it? that you're going to fall in love with me and only me. I pulled this out because I don't know what time it is, but it begs the question. Is it time for you to cut your hand off? Is it time for you to get rid of that? Is it time for you to get offline? Oh, I gotta stay connected. Yeah, you're staying connected with friends, but it's an avenue for a lustful, adulterous lifestyle. You need to get one more post. Did you need to get one more like, one more friend? Or is it time to get rid of all that? Do you need to have one more conversation at the cooler? Or can you just tell that woman out of respect for you and my wife, you and I will only have a professional relationship is it time for you to stop dressing up for the gym because you're just going to get sweaty and lose your makeup anyway so that you don't have to go there and show them all what you got? Is it time to let go of that 
Right? What do you have to cut off today? What are you holding on to? What are you hoping to get into heaven instead of what do you need to get rid of so that you can get into heaven? And this is not a moral. This is not a do more right than wrong to get to heaven. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And we'll get there in a quick sec. But what I'm telling you is this. There is something in your life. There is something in my life. And he says, isn't it better to lose a hand or an eye, right? To lose the whole world if it means you gain heaven. What are you going to do? Who do you need to stop talking to? Who do you need? Look, do you, do you go to the grocery store more often than you need to? Because you know he's there? And I'm trying to talk to both. Let's talk about teenagers for a minute because I know the teenagers are listening. If you have a parent of a son or daughter, do you know how difficult this is? Do you know that the solicitation and the offering of images is happening every single day, all the time. Did you know that? Yes, your son or daughter most likely has dealt with it or is dealing with it or will deal with it. This is the culture we live in. It's loose commitment, no attachment, living. And what God is saying, don't you know I have something better? Don't you know I have this this relationship structure that is meant to be filled with faithfulness and commitment. And all it requires is forsaking all others. And the only way we do that is by walking it out. Walk it out to the end. What would that be that end result? Am I willing to blow my family up? Am I willing to blow my kids' lives up? Am I willing to end this relationship with this woman who I committed my life to? This man that I committed my life to? What, because somebody's got bigger muscles? Because somebody's got a bigger car, bigger house, a nicer wallet, and whatever. Is it worth it? Outside of that, is it worth it to blow up your relationship with God and with others so that you can have one more night together? One more friend on the internet? One more? Jesus says it's not. Let's see what Jesus, our example is Jesus, is it not? Let's talk about it. Jesus forsook position. He, he, he did not think that equality with, uh, equality with God was something to be grasped, right? But made himself nothing and became obedient even to death on a cross. Jesus chose to forsake his equality with God to come and die for you and me. To give his life. He chose on purpose to become sin for us, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. C.S. Lewis said, everyone knows that the sexual appetite, like our other appetites, grows by indulgence. That appetite doesn't go away when you cross the line once. You're like, oh, I'll never do that again. Yes, you will. You'll do it again and again and again. We'll just keep crossing that line because we feed the appetite. You've got to cut it off. You've got to throw it away. Not try harder, but cut it off. And I want to 
I want to finish. I want to make sure that we are clear about this because whatever's causing you to slide down that slope to infidelity, whether it's with people or with God, it's time now to give it up because it's better to enter heaven with no friends, platform, computer muscles, promotions, or anything else than it is to enter into hell with all your limbs, with all your reach, with all your influence. Jesus shows us the way. When he caught a woman in adultery, he offered grace. Because if you're here today and you say, you know in your heart, I've committed adultery, I lust a lot, right? I, I'm covered over by my sin. I want you to hear this. Because at the end of the day, it's not about moral living, it's about surrender. Christian life is not about moral living, it's about surrender. Faithfulness doesn't come from trying hard enough, it comes from surrender and forsaking all others. And Jesus catches this woman, as Jesus didn't catch her, some of the Pharisees caught her and brought her before Jesus and he says, look, we know the story, he writes in the sand, I think he's writing everybody's sins, it doesn't say that, I would just like that to be what it is. Right, where he's just telling all those guys, oh, you're throwing a first stone, writing down their sins. And they all walk away, and it's just Jesus with this half-naked woman, and he says, as no one condemns you, he says, neither do I. Now go and leave your life of sin. Go forsake that life and follow me. Today, maybe that's you. Maybe today you need to hear that he became sin, your sin, to offer you righteousness. He forsook all things that he had in order to give his life on your behalf and my behalf. It is through that surrender, it is through the cross, his death and resurrection that we have new life. That we can walk in freedom. That we can walk in faithfulness to God and to others. Here's my hope. Here's my hope. I want to see the church divorce rate be different than the rest of the world. I want to see the amount of people living in faithful relationships better than the world. I want to see people get excited about fidelity, about commitment, and spread that to the people that we talk to. Hey, you want to go, nah, you know, I don't think that honors my wife. Like, what if that was the conversation? What if when a, a man approached you, you looked at him and said, hey, I'm flattered, but you know what? I love my husband, so please don't talk to me again. God would love that to happen to some guys. You know, when that woman comes up and she flashes those eyes and she gives you that, you know, instead of walking over to her or when she comes, you say, you know what? I respect you too much and I want you to respect yourself. I love my wife. I'm committed to her. I'm not going to talk to you probably. Please don't take offense. I wonder what would happen if those conversations happen. I wonder if you got rid of your computer. I'm talking your whole thing, the whole bit. What if you just got rid of your internet at your house because you can't do it another way? What if you cut that off? I wonder how your marriage would be then. I wonder how you'd see women then when that pattern changed. This is obviously a longer, we could talk about this all day, but I won't because you got to go to lunch and we got to stop. What if we lived in faithfulness because we were willing to forsake all others by walking it out, seeing the end before anything ever began? My prayer today is that you'll find the grace of God ready the forgiveness of God ready for you and ready for me.
Heavenly Father, it is in Jesus' name that we come to you. Lord, we know that there is nothing that we can do to be better. We aren't better. There's nothing that we can do to just live more righteously. We need you. It is by the power of your Holy Spirit and it is through your grace alone that we can be more like Jesus. God, would you forgive us for living unfaithful lives? Would you forgive us, Lord, for holding on to things that we need to forsake? God, would you build our relationship with you? Would you help us to see that as more important so your people can lead others to that throne of grace? Lord God, oh Lord, set us free. Set us free, Father, from the need to walk close to the fire. Set us free, Lord, for the need to take what we want instead of accepting what you give us as what we need. Change your church, Lord. Change your church. Jesus, would you be lifted high today that we would be content with you even if we lose everything else. Lift these things in Jesus' name, amen.